Well, good morning, everybody. So great to be with you. Uh, my name is Alex Grom, and, and I'm the campus pastor at our Torrance location. Sorry, I almost forgot what I am here. Hey, speaking of Torrance, let's, I'm so happy to be connected with Torrance. I just love them over there. So glad that we're together now. Thanks for being here at Manhattan Beach. Great to see your faces. Thanks for making it to church today, everybody. Hey, and if you're watching this online, maybe that's Sunday morning live with us, or maybe you're catching up during the week. Thanks for making church part of your week. It's so great we can be together. Uh, hey, today we are going to continue our series called Lenses, uh, and we're in week two of that series. And in this series, it's all about how we can look into the Bible and learn more about God that way, how the Bible helps us understand God better. The analogy here is that there's so many different lenses in our lives, and there's lenses in kaleidoscopes and telescopes and microscopes and all the scopes that you could possibly want. And each of those uh, uses of lenses gives us a different perspective on our world, helps us understand the world better. That is the same thing that's true about the different genres of literature, the different types of literature that are in the Bible. Each different genre can give us a different perspective on God and how he wants to connect to our lives. Uh, And we're talking about all these different kinds of genre that exist in the Bible because you may or may not know this, the Bible is a very different book than any other book that we read in our lives uh, because it's not just one book. Some of you know this. The Bible is actually a collection of 66 different smaller books. And, And those smaller books, we have divided those into two big chunks. The first part of the Bible is called the Old Testament, and those are all the stories of God and his people before Jesus arrived on the scene. And then we have the New Testament, which is all the stories of Jesus and his followers after uh, Jesus arrived. And so even within those subsections of Old Testament and New Testament, we can make further distinctions about where these genres primarily pop up. Let me show you this. We, We looked at this last week as well. But this is a bookshelf representing the whole of the Bible. And these are each of the 66 books. You can see these first two are the Old Testament shelves, and here's the New Testament. But we started last week by looking at this first one, which is the genre of law. And if you are reading the Bible and start at the beginning, you will almost immediately intersect with a type of genre that we don't casually intersect with very often. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm not the kind of person who's like, you know what I want to do? I want to sit down and read a great book of laws. That'll be really fun. Maybe you're a lawyer and that's your job. But I can't imagine that many of us casually do that. In the Bible, It's important that we do intersect that way because what we learn, and Jason taught us this this last week, um, is that when we read the, the genre of law in the Bible, what we can learn from it is that it means that God cares about every facet of our life. God is not distant. He is with us, and he wants to guide us into a connection with him in all things. So that's what we learned last week. Today, we're going to go to the next section, and thank goodness it's a much more familiar type of genre of literature that we're more used to, and that is the books of narratives or historical narratives or story. Now, we're labeling it that way because this chunk of the Old Testament is pretty consistently story, but the reality is that there are many, many books of the Bible that are made of or include stories scattered throughout. This is wonderful because story is the primary way that we as people interact with the world. I hope that doesn't sound like an, interact, uh, an exaggeration. We are story-based people. Now, I mean that in a couple different ways. 
First, I mean that we are all a part of the historical narrative that is going on. We have a rich culture of storytelling and story sharing. Throughout all of history, that's been the case in humanity. But even today, I'm sure that if we went around the room, we could ask, what is your favorite movie or novel or piece of theater or story that you know? Each of us has stories that inspire us or intrigue us or make us want to learn more about something or clarify a feeling or our experience of the world in a fresh way. What is your favorite story could be a question. But then not only that, I think in our culture nowadays, we have a rich sense that we are writing our stories, that we are part of writing a narrative in our own lives. How is your story going? Uh, we could, we, in fact, the way we gauge some of the experiences of life sometimes is a good experience is something that bolsters the narrative that I want for my life. Maybe that's a, a promotion or a good relationship or something like that. And the things that pull us away from who we want to be in our purpose and meaning, we often dislike those types of experiences. We are story-driven people, even in our experience of life. Not only that, but I want to settle in for just a tiny bit about, I think we are hardwired to be story people. Information in bullet points is not the way that most of us understand or experience the world. Instead, we understand the world best through story. The best proof I have of that is in the way we dream. Now, I don't, I'm not a dream scientist, but I've read up on things, and did you know, I didn't realize this until recently, that really scientists aren't quite sure why we dream. There's no definitive reason why we dream. The biggest theories, most prevalent theories out there, are that dreams are one of the ways that our brain deals with and puts in place, organizes and even eliminates some of the, just the massive amounts of information input that we have in our lives. So it's our subconscious brain processing through the mess of the day, the information mess of the day. But I dream a lot. I remember a lot of my dreams. And if you're like me, you know they're not just random blurts of information that our brain processes. We process almost exclusively subconsciously in little tiny stories, don't we? Dreams don't always make coherent sense as stories, but they are things happen in sequence. That's how we experience and think about information at its best. You know, lately, uh, it's been coming to mind that I experience the story in my dreams pretty clearly in one specific way, in that I have very particular stress dreams. The story that my brain sometimes wants to tell me in my, stre- in my, in my dreams is that I am too stressed out. Do you have these where you, when you have them, you know the story is, hey, you're too stressed out? Let me give you some examples. Probably some of these you have had. Here's the first one for me. There's three of them. Performing in a play, specifically that I'm not prepared for. So in this dream, I'm back in high school, and they're like, you're on. Get out there. And I'm like, huh, huh, out on stage, and all these people. And I, of course, I haven't memorized any lines or have any idea what's going on. And sometimes in this dream, I scurry around and find the script, but it's like I can't read it. All the words are jumbled, and I'm so confused and embarrassed. Do you have that kind of dream? If you don't, this is the cousin to the dream where it's like you're in a final exam, but you haven't studied for the exam. Or you show up at school, and you look down, and you're in your underpants. Um, These are all related dreams of like you're unprepared. There's too much. There's too much on you. That's the story my brain is telling me. Here's another one. Maybe you can connect with this one. Teeth falling out. This is a big one. I have this dream where I'm just eating something normal, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and it's like, and my teeth explode, and I'm like, I'm pulling one out at a time. Either they're like a crunchy uh, tooth, or it's like they're sloppy, gross, they're just disintegrating like wet bread, like, oh my gosh, my teeth. You have that one? No? (laughs) If you do, you're stressed out. 
Last one, this one is even more specific, I think, to me. I have this consistent dream of a giant, dry contact lens. I wear contact lenses in my life, and I have this reoccurring dream where I'm down to one pair of contacts, but I gotta go to work, I gotta put these things in, and I pull one out, and it's just like the size of a clear bowl, but it's dry, and it's cracked, and there's sand and dirt on it, but I'm like, I gotta go to work, and I'm just shoving this thing in my eyeball, and man, I wake up like, whoa. But here's the thing, I have learned to listen to the story that my subconscious stressed out brain is telling me, and the story is, hey, the moral is you need, to, you need to lighten up. You need to find a day of peace. You need to take some PTO, and you need to sit on the beach, do whatever it takes, because I'm overwhelmed. Now, I'm not saying some mystical force is telling me that. I am saying that my brain is processing a story that tells me that I am stressed out. Listen to your stories in that way. Hey, praise the Lord that we can process story that way, but... Praise the Lord even more that the Bible is primarily written in that same genre in which our brains are fully wired to receive best, fully wired to be able to best contemplate and understand. The Bible is primarily made up of stories of real people, historical narratives of how God interacted with his people. We don't have to find God in the Bible through a list of only rules or just a user's guide. It is interactive stories of how people and God made a connection and built a relationship. And often those people are very flawed, broken people, and we'll get to that in just a second. But the the main message that we have for today of how we can use story to our benefit is this. Through the lens of story, we can see God's grand narrative. When we read the stories of the Bible, there is something bigger going on, something much more rich than just the individual story. It can point us to who God is and what he's doing in the cosmos, but also what he's doing in our lives. So let's look again. Uh, There are so many stories, like all these places are either full or made up of stories. Specifically, we'll talk about this genre throughout this whole series of the Gospels. These uh, ones in kind of this pinkish hue are the ones that are about Jesus specifically. But all of these books are the stories of God and his people. I think many of you are familiar with some of these stories. Maybe you grew up in church and it was during Sunday school. Well, we used to call it Sunday school. Now we call it Journey Kids here or Journey Kids Programming. By the way, that's what your kids, if you check them into Journey Kids today, are experiencing. They're learning the stories from the Bible and some verses that help them understand God better. Here's what I really want to let you know, though, today is that The stories in the Bible are not meant to be exclusively kids' stories. They are meant to be clear and help us grow towards God. But if you're an adult, you should still be reading and learning from the narratives in the Bible. I just want to list some from, for you, because some of these, I think people, if you grew up in church, you'll be like, oh, I totally know that story. I haven't revisited it since I was a kid. Others of you, you may have not grown up in church. Maybe this is your first time. I'm so glad you're here. I still think that some of the lists that I'm about to give, you'll say, I actually have heard of that one, just in culture. It's just one of those things that kind of have its life of its own. You may even know the lesson that's intended to be taught from some of these stories without ever having read it in the first place. I'd love to encourage you to do that. So here are just 
just some of the stories that are famous from the Bible. Of course, the story of Adam and Eve, the very first story from Genesis, is God's interaction with those first people. Another story from Genesis is this Noah and the flood. This is Noah putting all the animals on a boat, and they go on a 40-day trip. It's not a very, well, you read it, and you'll see that it's not a very fun trip. Uh, Moses uh, dividing the Red Sea. Maybe you've seen pictures. He's holding a big staff, and the Red Sea is split so they can walk in between. If you've seen a movie like Prince of Egypt or The Ten Commandments, you might have seen that. Actually, and that's the next one. Maybe you know the story of Moses and the Ten Commandments when he's holding those big, giant tablets, giving God's law in that way. Others are things like the Battle of Jericho, where they they blast the trumpets and the walls come tumbling down. Another one famous, David and Goliath, where little David fights this this big, tall man. Um, Another one is Jonah and the whale. Uh, For some reason, at the 9 o'clock service, somebody went, woo, when Jonah and the whale came up. I don't know if he was a big fan of Jonah and the whale. That was interesting uh, for that. But this is where Jonah gets swallowed by a big fish. Um, Here's another one, uh, Daniel in the lion's den, where Daniel is faithful to God even when facing pressure. Then we get into some uh, from the New Testament, of course, the birth of Jesus. We often talk about that at Christmas time. The next one is Jesus' death and resurrection. We got done celebrating that at Easter. And then finally, some of you know this New Testament story of Paul's conversion, the first Christian missionary. He was against God completely, but then Jesus appeared to him. Uh, Actually, he fell off his horse. That's a fun part of the story. So I'm encouraging you to read these as an adult, not just to say, yeah, I remember when I read that story to my kid or when I was a kid and I heard that from my Sunday school teacher. The point of today is it is well worth our time to revisit some of these as adults to say, God, how do you want to, this story to intersect with my story? So, in fact, in the time we have together today, I want to give you two ways that revisiting these stories, really coming to understand them as an adult, will help us understand God better. Here's the first of those ways. The stories of the Bible help us understand God, ourselves, and our world. The stories in the Bible are not supposed to be, now I have Bible knowledge. By reading them, you are supposed to say, I understand more about how God in his interplay with humanity works. You would come to know God more. In fact, let me say kind of what I was starting before. The Bible is so full of real people stories. You may be under the false impression that when you read the Bible, you're going to find holy people doing the right thing, following God with all their heart. There's parts of that. But really, what, and those of you who have read the Bible, you know, it's mostly stories about people getting it wrong, people failing and needing forgiveness, people thinking in their pride that they've got the right answer and doing a terrible job of decision-making, and God needs to come to the rescue. You know, that's beautiful because guess who else has that story? All of us have that story. If you're here and like, well, my story's perfect so far, I'm an incredible person, you need the Bible more than anyone. <laughs> this would be great for you to read the Bible of failures and people whose pride was too high because all the rest of us, you know who you'll find in the Bible? You'll find yourself in the Bible. You will say, wow, I can't believe how God interacted with this person who was flawed just like me. Now, I don't mean to say that you are the point of the Bible or you are the main character of the Bible. In fact, and we've said this in a couple different ways before, this is so important for us to understand, God is the main character of every story. And I mean this specifically, every story in the Bible is intended to give us the sense of who God is. But even more than that, breaking out of just the narratives of Scripture, God is the main character in your story. Praise the Lord that I am not the main character because I cannot be the hero in my own life. I have screwed it up too much. Instead, I need God to be the hero. Every story we read, I hope that you read from that list in the Bible, 
is, is intended to say, here's what God is up to and how he could be the hero in your life, your story. In fact, I want to take a few minutes to walk through one of the, as an example, one of the stories I already listed. I think it will be familiar to many of you, David and Goliath. This is a famous story uh, that we're going to talk to the eight about. Um, if you were reading your Bible, you'd find it here in the book of 1 Samuel and chapter 17. Some of you, even when I put this up on the screen, images come to mind of the main plot points. Uh, and so I, for those of you who aren't familiar, I do want to retell the story today in our time. What's interesting, just a little side note, is that telling the stories of the Bible is actually one of the truest ways to experience the intention of the Bible. Because you might know this, many, most of the stories that exist in the Bible that we read as a book existed for hundreds of years and were originated in oral cultures who spoke and taught these stories one to another very carefully uh, for them to pass that down through the generations. So they were oral storytellers. It was hundreds of years for some of these before they were written down for preservation. So when we tell each other the stories of the Bible, we're participating in a great tradition of out loud storytelling when it comes to what God wants to teach us. So let me just walk you through that story out loud of David and Goliath. I think you'll recognize some of these familiar plot points. Basically, the story starts with two armies facing off on the field of battle, prepping for battle. On one side is God's people, the Israelites at that time. And you can imagine a big valley with two armies on either side thousands of years ago. The Israelites are on one side, and their enemies are called the Philistines. The bad guys of the story are the Philistines. And as they're prepping for battle, the Philistines have a champion on their side, and his name is Goliath. Here's a picture of Goliath, a photograph, not really, we don't, didn't have those back then, but it's a picture I took from a children's book, so that counts as a picture of Goliath. Um, so Goliath was this extremely tall person, giant warrior, who comes out, and every day he would come out in front of the Philistine army and mock the soldiers and the armies of the Israelites. And he would say that they're pitiful, he would say they're pathetic, they're, they're terrible, and he said he, he, would, he would taunt them in a way that's like, I could destroy any one of the champions that you send out to fight me. The Israelites were terrified of this happening, and it happened every day. They were frozen in their tracks. One day, a young shepherd boy named David showed up at the front lines to visit his brothers who were in the Israelite army, bring them some food. <laughs> While he's delivering the food, Goliath takes his daily step out from the army to taunt the Israelites. The Israelites are terrified, but David is like, we're not going to do anything about this. We need to do anything about this. And personally steps up and says, I'll go and fight him. The Israelite leadership and army are so embarrassed, so confused that they haven't been doing anything, they let the kid do it. In fact, they bring him in and try to put giant armor on him, the armor of a warrior, and it's too heavy. The kid is too weak to carry the armor. He's like, forget it, takes it all back off, and says instead that he's going to opt for the weapon that he's most familiar with, which is a sling with stones in it. As a shepherd, he had had experience using this sling to ward off wild animals that were wanting to attack his flock. So he says, that's what I'm going to use. He goes to a stream, picks out smooth stones, and goes against Goliath with only stones in a sling. They step forward. Goliath cannot believe his eyes that this is happening. He makes fun of this little David kid. But David steps up, puts one stone in the sling, whips it, and it hits Goliath right in the forehead, hopefully with that noise. I hope that was what happened. But the, one of the only unprotected areas of, uh, of Goliath's body 
it sinks, the Bible says it sinks into his forehead and Goliath goes down. David takes advantage of the moment, runs over to the fallen Goliath, pulls out Goliath's own heavy sword and chops his head off. David overcomes with Goliath's own weapon that he was showing uh, intimidation with. It's an incredible story. Those are the plot points of David and Goliath. In fact, that's become such a, uh, such a legendary story that we have, uh, it, it's become sort of an analogy in our culture of everybody wants to be the David, the new David and Goliath story. Every tech startup wants to be the new David and Goliath story where they overcame the odds. Sometimes we get confused, and I think we, some of us are brought up this way, to think that the story of David and Goliath is about David defeating Goliath, Right? That's not what the story of David and Goliath is about. I know I just told you that story, and it sounded like what it's about, but that's because we were telling the basic plot points of something that's much more rich. If you would revisit it, you would see, because remember, I, said, I didn't say David was the main character of every story. Who did I say was the main character of every story? God. God is the main character. It should be called God and what he did with David and Goliath. That's what every story should be called. God and what he did with blank, blank, blank. In the story of David and Goliath, we need to ask, like we have to with every biblical story, actually every story we read, this primary question, what actually happened? You could say, Alex, you just told us what happened, sort of. There is a rich theme in this story that you would recognize that has to do primarily with God. This is a story about God. For, for example, when David arrives and hears Goliath's taunts, he does not get upset because his people are scared. He does not get upset because he thinks he's a better warrior than Goliath. Instead, he is upset for this reason. He's upset because Goliath has been allowed to defy the armies of who? Of the living God. He sees this as an affront against the righteousness and purity that only one being holds, and that is the God of the universe, his God. And so he sees this not as a battle between Philistines and Israelites. He sees this as a battle between someone who would defy the living and only God. He doesn't think he's a better warrior. He just knows that God can handle himself. So his agreeing to go into battle against Goliath has nothing to do with his military prowess or his own pride. In fact, when he's face to face with Goliath, he makes it really clear. Here's what he says. He says, Goliath, you come to me with a sword, a spear and javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today, who? The Lord will conquer you. And he does. He, he, of course, defeats the enemy. This is not a story about David beating the big guy. This is about completely unprepared David knowing that the God of the universe fights for righteousness and good against the challenges that come across his life. That's your story. You cannot succeed in your own life. You're, you're You're not prepped for it. You're not capable of it. You cannot overcome the stresses and challenges of living a life, especially one of true justice and righteousness and goodness. You cannot do it. God can do it. Your story, the main character that will make your story successful, is not you. It is the Lord God. The Lord of heaven's armies wants to fight, not for your priorities, but for his priorities of goodness and peace in the world. So the first question is, what is this even about? It's about God. 
Second question we need to ask specifically of Bible stories is this. What's the author of the story trying to tell me about God in my life? Some of the biblical authors tell us there's a beautiful part in the book of John where John is writing these stories about Jesus and then at the end of his book he says, I am writing these stories so that you would be able to believe in Jesus and have new life in him. It's a beautiful statement. Right after that, there's a book of Luke where Luke tells us very specifically, I am writing these stories of Jesus so you can have an orderly account of what Jesus did in his life. It's a beautiful statement of the why. Every biblical author, they're not just taking random notes about stuff that happened. Oh my gosh, I fell down, I should write that down. They're writing purposely to teach us something about how God interacts with you. It is not too ridiculous to say, what is the Goliath in your life? What is the thing that is so gigantically against the goodness that's in the world that God wants to empower you to overcome? Not immediately, not all at once, although that would be an incredible story, but what is he calling you to, to step out to in bravery, not because you are adequately adequately prepared, but because he is in control of the universe? Is that a place of purity, that you need to say, I cannot overcome the challenges of life in, my, in the area of purity. It's only through God's power that I can do that. Maybe it's a bold step in a career or a family choice where you would say, we're scared of this, move, but you know what, God, God, you can empower us to do the right thing that will help people in this world. What can it be? Here's, here's the action step I want to give you here. I want to challenge you to read a familiar biblical story again. Find out how, the, how it points to God being the hero of your story. In fact, let me put up that list. If you need to take a picture, maybe you need to go back to YouTube and take the screenshot later, pick one of these. If, you, if none of the Bible stories are familiar to you, these would be great ones to start with. Here's the second way that we can experience God, learn to see his grand narrative better uh, if we read the Bible stories. Here it is. Every story in the Bible points not only to God, but specifically to Jesus. The stories of Jesus are the climax of history. The climax of the grand narrative is in Jesus' redemption. We've been talking for the past couple weeks about God's big narrative uh, in, in this way. Let's look at the next slide where it says God's big story. Pastor Jill likes putting it into these four categories of creation, the beginnings of something, but then fall and brokenness, uh, leading up to redemption and then completion. The eras of, of, of faith, the eras of history can fall into this, and so can our own lives. So for instance, in the Bible, if you start at the beginning, you are going to read about the creation where God makes things new, where God creates and, and starts interacting with the first people. Almost immediately after that, though, is the fall. Fall is when sin and brokenness enter the world, and, and we have to wrestle with the, the things that aren't right. Do you feel that in your life? Of, boy, just things just aren't right in this world or in myself. That's the echoes of this phase of history of the fall. But then history comes to its fulfillment in the redemption that God provides in Jesus. This highlight moment is when Jesus takes the punishment for sin and promises us through his resurrection that we can have new life with him because he's going to make everything right. That's the ultimate thing in every story. And then the rest of all of history, this is a smaller line than it should be, goes on to eternity in completion. How do we walk that out? How does God bring all of this together? The question that we have for any stories we read in the Bible in relation to this is how does the story point to Jesus? How does any story, even in the Old Testament before Jesus was around, how does it point to the need for redemption? 
In the Bible story of David and Goliath, it was David saying, there needs to be resolution from a higher power here. That higher power is God himself needs to take care of that. That points to the ultimate redemption that he would have in Jesus. In fact, let me show you this one more time. Here's God's big story, has this ark. We could rename this, though. This is also the ark of your own story. This, this beginning where you were born, good job, you did this part really well, everybody, but soon after, boy, do we live in this area for a long time. We live in this area all the time of things that we just mess up, ways we treat people poorly, brokenness that we create uh, by doing things incorrectly, but you need to know that Jesus's redemption is available to you. No matter where you are and what you're experiencing in the fall, redemption through Jesus is possible. He wants to forgive. He loves you. And then the rest of your life, he wants you to be growing into that. Now, I can tell you, it doesn't feel like, wow, Jesus forgave me. Hooray, I'm always going towards completion now. I don't have to worry. No, I feel this all the time. I feel like I'm in kind of this zone my whole life. But here's the, here's the twist. Here's the, the ticket that I want to tell you today. Once you understand this grand narrative of history, it's okay to be here because it's connected to redemption. If, we're, if you're feeling, oops, I'm bringing the TV here. If you're feeling the fall, the brokenness, the challenges of life, it's okay. God is with you and you are never far. You are never disconnected from his desire to redeem and to save and to forgive. Let me tell you in my own story, just lately it came to mind this week where this has been very helpful for me to understand. And, and that is in the not inconsistent times in my life where my wife and I are having a fight. Do you have fights with your spouse? We do. If you don't, nobody said anything, so I'm the only one and I feel embarrassed, but just kidding. You know what I mean? It's normal. If you're in a marriage, you know you argue sometimes. Now I say fight, but listen, my wife and I have a very distinct style of fighting when we're disagreeing something. We don't yell. We don't throw things. We're not that kind of fighter. Instead, we are, when we are upset at each other and we're having a discussion, we sit in our living room and think at each other in dead silence. And every couple minutes, someone will be like, also, I feel this. That really hurt me. And then there's silence for another, like, three, five minutes. And it's terrifying. We are great. And, you know, and in that silence, I'm having hundreds of conversations with her, and she is saying all of the wrong things. And I am always right in those conversations, and I just am finding the right way to really say it. And so we're thinking at each other and through the situation. Sometimes our, we have two kids. Sometimes one of our boys will like walk into the room like, hey, dad, I need to, and he's like, whoa. And they like back, back out, you know what I mean? Because they can feel the tension in the air. Thank goodness, it's wise of them to do that. In those moments, we are here, friends. There's pride, there's anger, there's upsetness, there's disconnection, there's brokenness. Almost always in those situations, one of us will say, I am getting overheated here, even though we're doing nothing but sitting there. I, I'm, I'm gonna, is it okay if I go stand in the kitchen for a few minutes? Yes, or the bathroom or wherever. Yes, one of us will go. For some reason, it's when one of us is standing in the bathroom, one of us is standing in the kitchen, where God intervenes. And he reminds us, hey, you're feeling this, aren't you? Listen, this is available in your marriage. This is available in the relationships with the people that you love the most and you have broken so thoroughly that trust. You blew it, man. I, w I can win this one. And it's not by being right, Alex. 
It's by getting back in that dang room and saying, holy cow, I have blown it. I am so sorry. The win here is forgiveness. The win here is reconnection. How are we going to work on that together? Sometimes that's me that God intersects with. Sometimes that's my wife. And either way, I can tell you we are completely incapable of figuring those things out on our own. But Jesus is the ultimate character in our story. And in those moments, you know what? I honestly, I've gotten a little less afraid of being here because I know it's connected to redemption. I almost said it in the nine. I almost said, I love fighting with my wife. That's not true at all. But I do love that the outcome of fall is seeing God's grace even more clearly. Oh, Lord, continue to arrive in those dark moments in my life. I, that's my prayer for you. In fact, let me put that as, a, as an action step um, that we can share together this week in one dark moment of your story this week. Embrace your spot in God's story of redemption. The story does not end with your brokenness. It ends with God redeeming you and leading you and guiding you to a new life. Maybe this this dark spot is a difficult phone call you'll have. Maybe it's a hard meeting at work. Maybe it's something that goes wrong with your kids that, that makes them go sideways. Whatever it is, in that moment, don't forget, Jesus is with you. Jesus wants to redeem, to forgive, to guide, and bring you ultimately into that beauty of completion. Let's rely on him, think about him, notice him, and his story that's involved in our story this week. Let's review quickly what we, we talked about today. Through the lens of story, we can see God's grand narrative. The stories of the Bible, we learned, help us understand God and ourselves and our world. And not only that, but every story in the Bible ultimately points us to Jesus. Will you do that this week? Will you set your story on a path towards him. Maybe that's one of redemption in your life. We need to call out to him for forgiveness and and reconstruction in a place that you've damaged. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you've experienced that and you just need to celebrate with a full heart this week what he's doing and share that with a friend or loved one.